You're listening to Real Investor Radio with Craig Fuhr and Jack Bevere, where we cover advanced real estate investing topics to help you stay ahead of the curve in your real estate investing business. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Real Investor Radio. I'm Craig Fuhr with my good friend, Jack Bevere. Jack, how are you today? Doing great, man. Doing great. New Year's kicking off strong. So excited to be here. It is kicking off strong. It should be an interesting year indeed. We've talked about that on some previous episodes, uh, what we can look forward to from the Fed in upcoming months. I got a good feeling that Q2 is going to kick off all the excitement, Jack. That's, that's my, that's my uh, prediction on things in terms of when the Fed makes the move. Any predictions mm. from you there? Yeah, I think we're going to have a, uh, I think it's going to be an early spring from a, like a spring selling season, you know, for the realtors and flippers, uh, you know, uh, ourselves included. So that's what we're kind of preparing ourselves for is that, um, I don't think that it, I don't think that the, the folks who are reacting to mortgage rates that went down a month ago now are, you know, get through the holiday season, talk with the spouse about, Hey, is it time to get back in, go get the pre-approval letter, call the real estate agent back, start looking at stuff and then things go under contract. Right. So there's a little delay there, but I feel that, um, if folks end up waiting until April and May, if rates continue to go down, it could get really crowded out there and we get back into the, a lot of the highest and best situations. So mm -hmm. I think that the best time is going to be the early shoppers this spring where they're still getting the benefit of the slightly lower mortgage rates, but uh, they don't have the, uh, you know, the increased competition uh, in, into the spring selling season. So anyway, you, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're prepping for. Well, I'm looking forward to all of it. You know, we talk to investors every day, Jack, and, um, I've been speaking to more and more lately who are saying that uh, banks are still tightening up. You know, I've I've got a loan quote out and they tell me that they're that we're going to do this deal. We're going to get it to the closing table. And then sort of at the last minute, things blow up. The loan committee has a different thought. Now they need some more, you know, maybe $50,000 cash in, in a savings account to do the loan. Uh, hearing from more and more people that that uh, banks, you know, traditional banks are, uh, you know, becoming more and more difficult to deal with. So um, yeah. I don't know if you're hearing the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, today we've got a great guest, uh, Austin Carroll. Austin, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, what's up, guys? Excited to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation. Jack, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce Austin and we'll jump in. Yeah, so I was really excited to when, when Austin ag agreed to, uh, to join us on the podcast. I've known Austin for six, seven years, maybe. Um, yeah, and he is a, a, an investor here in the Baltimore area, got started even in college. I think the, uh, the Towson real estate investing club became very popular. And, uh, I think Austin started doing deals right out of school and, um, has just, you know, really has done a ton at a very young age. And as I've had the pleasure to know him, um, through his, you know, probably first 10 years of your career, um, I've just been very impressed with the business that he has already built and his very mature, long-term approach to building a real estate, building several real estate investing businesses. Um, and so, you know, I, I was, uh, I, I wanted to, I asked Austin to join us because I thought that that story was really interesting and the way that he thinks about things, I've always just been very impressed with. And so, hey, Austin, really uh, appreciate you joining us today. Yeah. Excited to uh, to ha have this conversation. Yeah, appreciate it, Jack. Yeah, we uh, 
uh, got some ultimate frisbee going. That was that was probably <laughs> the the real start to our friendship. Uh, some competitive uh, Druid Hill Park, you know, right in the middle of Baltimore City, uh, on ultimate frisbee. So, yep. Uh, followed up by an exciting game of hacky sack. <laughs> <laughs> Do some kick flips on some skateboards. You know? All right, I love it. That's awesome. That's great. Who doesn't love a great game of ultimate frisbee? Austin, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you. Um, maybe you could just jump in and give us a little bit of your background that Jack just sort of uh, gave us the broad strokes on and you know how you got started. How, first of all, how you sort of learned this love of real estate and where did that come from? Love to hear the background on that. Yeah, absolutely. So a um, little bit about, about my background. I grew up in, uh, in Maryland, um, a place called Ellicott City. Uh, I had a small farm, so we would like we were in 4-H, would show animals, things like that. And uh, my dad was a mechanic, so we would go, we would build stuff, right? Like there was no call on the plumber, there was no call on the HVAC guy. Like it was like we fix it, and you figure it uh, out. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like a core tenant in my real estate investing career that sometimes hurts me and a lot of times helps me. Um, but the you know that kind of background, learning how to do things with my hands, just being handy. Um, had a small handyman business in high school, and then I spent two years at Howard Community College. Just it was the it was the thing to do, you know. I didn't want to go do a four year college. I was the first one in my family to go to college, so um, so that was kind of okay. Let me go spend two years in a, a special honors program there, and then um, I actually, I was I was down in Maryland. Um, Jack uh, Brenton was up in Towson. He did a lot there. Oh, but that's down right. at, yeah, sorry. Down at Maryland, I didn't think real estate was going to be what I was going to do. I was in the business school. I was a really good student. You know, like the sexy thing to do is to go work for some like big four accounting firm or a consultant or McKinsey or a, you know, banker or something like that. And uh, what I was reminded of uh, later was that as I was growing up in like middle school and stuff, my parents would kind of go into some of these like gimmicky things, right? Like how to sell stuff on eBay. And then they'd have a speaking circuit come at lunch and it'd be like, they're selling you the wine Mona V that's like a MLM kind of thing. And there was a real estate guy there. His name was Everett. I, I found the book uh, not long ago. My parents bought the course. And so like, you know, of course they negotiated to bring their middle school son to, uh, to these real estate courses. And I had no clue, right? Like there's nothing tactical in my brain other than some weird story about like an option to buy where like a freeway was going in. That's like the only thing I really remember. But what I think it instilled in like the very, very back of my brain was that real estate equals wealth. And so I didn't, didn't know that, right? Like I'm in college, like looking for jobs now at this point and um, ended up getting an internship with a home builder my junior year, just kind of literally wandering around the job fair, worked for Ryan Holmes, NBR Homes, and uh, had a ton of fun doing that, but knew it wasn't, you know, what I wanted to do. And then through a really weird situation, um, I had a part-time job putting up inflatable movies. So like if you ever go to like a community event with like the 20 foot inflatable screens, like there's somebody that like comes and sets that up. And like I answered a Craigslist ad. It was one of the best college jobs that you could have because you're going to like you get home in time to like still go out and party, you know, like you're home by like 10 o'clock or so you get to watch a movie. Usually it's like a party of some sort. So they got like food and stuff. So like it was such a fun part-time job. I have to so, I, honestly, um, I, I, Jack. Did you ever know that uh, for a minute? I'm sorry, Austin. Yeah, there was a there was a minute in college where I got a job going out setting up this inflatable for Elliot's amazing fruit juices. It was a 25 foot bottle, 
you know, that I had to take out the, I had to take out the 50, the, the 50 pound, uh, the blocks, put them in my car at the time and put this damn thing in, you know, in this huge bag, somehow fit it all in my car and then go set it up at some place where, you know, they sell Elliot's amazing fruit juices. And, uh, it was so big Jack that I could actually unzip the thing and get inside of it and just fall asleep for the four hours that I had to be <laughs> at a location. So. That's hilarious. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's Austin. good. No, the inf the inflatable stories, you know, more people yeah. have them than we think. One of our <laughs> one of our other loan officers, Will, did uh, bounce houses in college and after college. It was like him and two other guys who played basketball at Howard, and they would they'd go around and you know show up and do the bounce houses at kids' parties, wait four <laughs> hours, break it down. So, yeah. <laughs> inflatables could be such a profitable job. I we almost bought one the other week. We were looking at some auction sites for uh, for a co working business we're starting. So we were like looking at you know some stuff. There was like this huge bounce house thing for like a thousand bucks. I was like, we should buy that. <laughs> so, anyways, in, in, inflatables here. Um, it's the gateway. So the, the gateway to real estate investing. <laughs> the gateway. Yeah, who would have known? I mean, for yeah. I don't know, Craig, if your story relates to that, but. Um, so, so I ended up doing multiple events for this company called the Mankiti Group, uh, which is a sales team and real estate development company down in DC. And I did a couple for them. And they saw that I would kind of go above and beyond with, uh, with how I set it up and my customer service. And I ended up bagging popcorn, talking to, I didn't know he was the CFO, but he was the CFO, just chatting about like Tony Robbins and, you know, college and my handyman business and stuff like that. And he was like, you should you should think about coming and, you know, we don't have an active position, but like you sound like a really great, you know, talent. And, uh, and so I, I kind of hounded him after that um, because their business sounded really cool and ended up getting this, uh, my last semester in college, getting a internship there. And it just kind of flowed into a full-time job and it was everything real estate investing. And so, and, and, you know, Bo Mankiti became one of my mentors in terms of, you know, he's got a huge business. He does incredible things. One of the most important people inside Keller Williams. And uh, I would just be there late at the office and be chatting with him. So a lot of my framework for how I think about investing came from the super smart investor guy, Bo, who had, you know, I don't even know how much real estate they had at that time, but they were in commercial, residential, flipping. And uh, I was I was in the development division. It was really three of us. And so I was working under an architect, so we got to learn tons about architecture, design, things like that, and then working in the field with, uh, with our contractor. So kind of figured out how did the numbers work? You know, it's three of us, so you get exposed to everything. And, uh, and that was really my start. Um, knew that I wanted to do my own investing. I bought my first house, literally, you know, I was, I was touring stuff as I was graduating um, and, uh, and bought my first house. And it was a house hack, you know, renovated it. It was the typical scenario where it was like, hey, some of my fraternity brothers come over and we pay you beer and we demo, you know, and uh, and that was a ton of fun. And then, you know, lived with some of my friends. They paid me rent. I made 500 bucks a month and, you know, didn't have to to pay for living. And uh, I took a, a pretty severe pay cut working for the developer. Jack, you kind of talked about that working with Fred, right? Like it was like, you know, I expected to probably come out of college making 60, 70, 80 and I was making like 40, you know, but it was like, man, this wealth of knowledge that I got was incredible. So how'd you, how'd you find that first deal? <clears throat> like, was it the, the Keller Williams connection that led you to the, to be able to think that you had a deal? You know what I mean? So I, uh, I was walking through the office one day and they had a real estate sales team 
and literally one of the ladies just said, uh, hey, hey, you intern, uh, you want to buy a house? Like she was literally just lead generating. And I was like, yeah, like I would, you know, like it was in my head not to rent, right? Like every, like my cars, I never, like we buy used and we buy it cash, right? Like my house, you know, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I lived, a, my parents were about an hour away from, from DC. So I was like, I don't want to make that commute. My girlfriend lived close at the time. So I was like, ah, I'll figure that out. But she asked me that uh, a couple weeks into my internship. And I said, yeah, she started taking me on some showings. I, to this day, I don't know how I financed it, honestly. Uh, I don't, because it was the property that we found was a uh, HUD home store mm. home. Yeah. And so, and it was Maybe like, deals there. if you're going to, if you're going to house hack, I feel like that's like the first place to start. Cause and that owner rock period. Yeah. 2014. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 2014 HUD owner rock. Yeah. That's, that's. And I was scared, right? Like it was on the market for a while. We went and looked at, it was perfect for a house hacker. It was five bedrooms. I could add a bath, three baths, had a huge backyard in Riverdale, um, you know, cool, cool location. I, I joke it had my botanical gardens in the back because it was like some old people lived there and they had like meticulously done this garden and then it had overgrown for, I don't know, 10 years. And so you just be, I built this back deck off of it and you just be out there and something new would bloom. You're like, oh, we got some beautiful blue flowers back there today. But like, you couldn't walk through it. Like it was like a bramble mess at the same time. It was crazy. Uh, you and all your uh, buddies, uh, the 21 year old buddies hanging out in the English gardens out back. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I put a little hot tub out after my second refi, I put a hot tub out there. It was fun. Uh, you know, the, the silly things you do when you're young. And, um, and, and I knew that I wanted to, uh, have more time freedom. My challenge was I went above and beyond. You know, I was probably working 60, 70 hours a week. Uh, I actually had to negotiate to, to buy the house. I needed about 8K more in salary. So I went to them and said, hey, look, I want to buy this house. I, I need some more salary, like legitimately. And they said, okay, um, we've got a 200 work order backlog in our property management division. So after you're done work, if you go work that, we'll give you the 8K. So, okay. So it was me and a lady working on the uh, uh, property management division and, you know, we ended up clearing the backlog and, you know, that's how I had enough income to buy the house. And then it was just like bootstrapping. I had some cash from selling cattle younger and, you know, doing, uh, uh, doing my jobs and stuff like that in college. So I just, I used cash to fix mm -hmm. it up, refinanced it. Really? And, uh, and it was a, it was a fun deal. I sold it a couple of years ago cause it came to the end of the capital gains exemption period, but I still love that house. It was it was, it was incredible. That's awesome. That's a great one. That's a good one. So, so how did you end up in, uh, how did you, uh, I guess then get to Baltimore where you started building a rental portfolio and growing your, your agent and now commercial business? Yeah. So, um, so I, I knew I wanted time freedom and I knew I wouldn't have that there. Um, I was learning a ton, but I felt like I probably learned 80% of what I was going to learn. And, and I was kind of turning into, okay, this is just kind of grunt work and getting, a little bit better every day. And so um, I looked around and a bunch of my friends started to ask me how I bought my house. And I had to learn the process a lot better at that point because I was helping the division buy and sell houses. And so I just said, why don't I become a realtor? And so I got my license originally, like I had done it kind of secretly to buy my first investment property in Hagerstown. I was like, okay. I was like one of those guys that was like, I'm gonna get my license and like, you know, I'll get the fees from like when I buy my own house kind of thing. And, uh, and then just turned into, I actually really enjoyed working with some buyers. One of my, my dad's mechanics was like, Hey, I'm looking for a place and helped him helped a couple of my buddies. And I was like, actually like pretty good at this. Like this is pretty fun. And so, um, 
so then I joined their sales team for a little while, kind of learned the ropes. And then at that time, that was probably 2016, we were just kind of bagging our head against the wall trying to find stuff that penciled in DC. And I knew I don't have a ton of cash. You know, I've got a little bit of equity in my house. Baltimore seems like a much more realistic market for me. And and personally, I, I love making things that are kind of ugly, beautiful. And I think that's kind of what Baltimore is, right? Like DC wasn't that ugly at that time. And there were certainly parts of it that were, but man, like I would love to make a, a difference in Baltimore. And, uh, and so, you know, found a house up here that I could, I could buy and renovate, live and flip. So bought that and came up this way and then ventured on my own as a, as a real estate agent. Um, eventually bringing some other people onto my, my team. So I've got a team of three in addition to myself and, uh, and an admin at this point. Uh, and it was just slow growing. You know, I met a partner, um, Brenton Hess, awesome guy, still one of my best friends. And, uh, and we looked at buying some port, you know, we kind of stumbled into a, a small portfolio just by asking the question when we went to go look at a showing, like the seller met us and it was, do you have any other properties to, to sell? And, uh, and he did. So we bought 11 units, you know, kind of scattered all over the city. And that was kind of the start to like the legitimate investing. Um, and then what there, year you know, was this Austin? Roughly. That was, uh, 2017 or 2018. Okay. What, what, what year did you start working full-time outside out of community college? Uh, 2014. So okay. I graduated 2014 and went full-time with Mankiti group, um, 2014 and then 2016 became an agent. And then the summer of 2016 is when I, I ventured on my own. Were you, were you doing the agent work? Uh, while you still had a job or did you make like a clean break into that full time? Like, how did you make that, you know, how did you make that transition? Right. I feel like getting your real estate license is like when people ask like, Hey, how do I get into the business? Like getting your real estate license is one of the first things you can do. I think just from an access to information point of view, the, you know, the law that you learn and the practice that you learn in those classes is like, it's useful, but it's, you know, it's no, it's yeah. not enough to like teach you actually how to be a real estate agent, but it, but it is like important information and vocabulary to know. So I feel like it's like the, I think it's a great place to start. It's one of the, that's one of the first things I did. Um, but then, but that, but from an income producing point of view, making the transition from job to full-time real estate agent is a whole, is a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then from real estate agent to investor, that's another thing. So like, can you talk to me about the, the transitions and how, how you were able to make those transitions? Um, what, what your experience was each of those? Yeah, yeah, and and it's so funny because uh, you're reminding me of challenges I had at the time that you kind of forget of, right? Like, how do you finance something when you go to be an agent? I was um, going to ask you the same thing. Yeah, so so um, it, I had a leg up in the fact that acquisitions was part of my job, right? Like when you have a three person division and you're doing thirty deals a year, uh, everybody's got every job, you know. And so so it was fun at one point, and and one of the best things I recommend to people, you know, if you're still like cutting your teeth a little bit, literally analyze properties every day. And so when we had a really hard time, I had a I had an MLS flow. And so I would literally analyze every property coming on DC every day. Some days it would be three properties. Mondays were the worst because it was, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, everything that came on and it would be like, you know, 40 properties. Like it wasn't super crazy, but I had an intake sheet 
I filled it out. And what it does is it starts helping you to recognize patterns. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to redo it. Like I, like my pattern is probably outdated. Like I need to upgrade it and just do that for like a week again to be like, okay, cool. Like, let me, let me update the fresh numbers. Right. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys have that experience. Too. And yeah. Yeah. Rents are up like constructions up, you know, like I'll still look at something and be like, Oh, that's a 50 K reno. And then like our project manager is like, nah, dude, that's 75. I'm like, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so my transition was a little easier in the fact that I had a lot of, I had like half of the real estate agenting understood, right? Like how to actually do some stuff. I didn't know how to write an offer. That was pretty easy. And then um, I was also lucky in the fact that the team that I was on did something called a bold 8,000 my first couple of weeks into the business. And what that is, is where as a team, I think it was over 12 weeks, you make 8,000 contacts. And so you're literally just like trying to figure out like, how do I call everybody in my sphere to tell them I'm an agent? And it came at an incredible time for me because a ton of you know, my fraternity brothers and people I went to college with in high school, we're starting to round that corner over the next couple of years I'd like to buy. And so, um, so, you know, that was a really nice out of the gate kind of, you know, I think my first half year or so I sold like four or 5 million, you know, nothing crazy, but it was still, you know, still full time for the vast majority of that year. So I don't, I don't want to gloss over that. So is that like a, is that like a Keller, Keller Williams term or like a, that, that bold 8,000? Like that's like a, you know, yeah. how, like a, a sp- it feels like a sprint, right? You do a sprint that you do with other people. It makes it easier because you're all like in it at the same time. But then like you do that. That's a like, did you reach out to 8,000 people yourself? Like you did 8,000? There was a team of 10, I think. And it was over 12 weeks. So what we did, it was like literally, it was, it was before, you know, we had like fancy headphones and stuff like that. So I, I literally like took my phone and kind of like taped it to my head and put it on the mojo dialer at one point like or it was rubber bands not tape and uh and just sitting there you know I, like i was out of college right like i didn't i didn't really have much to like go home to and so i would so i'd get some lists from them i would call everybody i knew so it was yeah bold 8000 bold is a keller williams class it stands mm. for business objective life by design it's really one of the best like if you are getting into real estate and you want to like learn how to real estate take that class. Like it teaches you how to do a listing agreement. It's eight weeks long, costs money, but, um, but it's a, it's a really good crash course and a refresher, right? Like we're going to take it later this year because there's also accountability built into it. You know, you have to make a hundred contacts a week, things like that. And so there was this national push that was the biggest teams in Keller Williams in the nation were doing this challenge to each other. And the Mankiti group was one of the biggest teams. So I I think it was was like eight or 10 of us and we had to make the 8,000 contacts. So it was a uh, it was a great way to get thrown into it. Jack's, you know? Jack's head is spinning right now lo- for the sales I, floor at uh, DFS. Oh hell yeah, hell yeah! <laughs> I also love it. Just like people, you know, people are like, oh, you know, it's really hard to get into this business. Like, well, go talk to a thousand people and tell them that you do real estate. A thousand people is a ton of people, right? Oh, like it's people sick. Are like, hey, I do, yeah, I do some cold calling, and when they say they do some cold calling, they mean that they reach out to like five or ten people a week right? Yep. Like a yep. thousand people sprint is a, that lays a lot of groundwork, right? Like that's, that's like saturating, you know, multiple, you know, levels of network to, to be able to even just hit those numbers. So like, not only that, not only that, but it also puts you in a very, very rare air of people who would actually commit to that challenge and then, and then succeed with that challenge. It puts you in the top zero zero one percent of all real estate agents, I'm sure, in the country, uh, in my unofficial poll, Jack. And so, 
And but but even and more you're inventing so, stuff. But like even you're invent, like how do I get it? Like open houses, walking down through the supermarket. Like you're just figuring stuff out. Not only that, but like you're getting back to like noticing the patterns. So you talk to a thousand people, you're gonna start to feel the patterns of their responses, their receptiveness, all of those things that that then make you refine and 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 make that process a little bit better. It's yeah, man, that's that's awesome. Dude, also, your yeah, to that point, Craig, like your script, a hundred people in is all of a sudden like you know you stumble. The first hundred is brutal, and and you stumble through it, and everything, nothing's smooth, and this it's a real grind. And by but 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 by one hundred and one, you got a whole, you got a pitch that like that you know is going to elicit certain emotions at certain points. And then you've got jump off points that's they're already built into your head that are you right. That, that are, that, that are not, that are organic, that are not like forced that you're not, you know, that they can tell that you're not reading off of a script. It just becomes part of your, you know, part of your business pitch, part of your personality at that point with that much repetition, but the commitment to that much repetition to just to put your head down and grind like that to, to build that base that's what I think most people aren't willing to do. Like they, yep. they say they, they'll, they'll tell you that they're hard workers and have a you know strong work ethic, but are they willing to reach out to a thousand people? Like that's, that's, that, that's when it's real. Right. And everybody else just yep. willing to put in the work, you know, can you talk so, about right. what, uh, jump into like sort of what came of that? What, what did you find? What were the results of it? Yeah. I mean, the, the first was that, and, and the most impactful thing to me was that everybody in my network knew that I was a realtor at that point. And, and I'll also say, I'm not like, like there are people that are like super proud to be a realtor. And like, I actually had more of my investor hat on. And so like, it's always been, and part of it might be like some of the realtors I knew growing up, right? Like my, my parents, you know, be like, oh, that's, you know, that's Sarah over there. She's at church and she sells, you know, four houses a year and like, and it shows, right? And so, um, so that was like, it was a little bit hard of an identity shift because I wanted to be known as the dude that was an investor that owned houses, not mm -hmm. that was a realtor. And so what that really forced me to do is to tell everybody, Hey, I'm a realtor. I'd love to help you. I'm really good at what I do. And, and I had, you know, I'm, I'm a good negotiator, right? Like I knew how to do that. I knew how to think about their house, like an investment. And there's still tons of stuff I was learning. So I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it, it was somewhere around, as I was building my real estate portfolio over the next couple of years, you know, that year was like 6 million or so, I think in, in sales. And then it was like, I think 10 or 12 million, you know, and then there was a year of like 16 million, you know? And, and so it's kind of like, it was, it was more so the unit volume. Like it was a lot of unit volume for, you know, generally what I was doing, particularly that it was like, I've, I think I've always kind of been a part-time agent too, because like we were talking about it and joking the other day, because everybody on the team has something else that they do right now. And so we're all like part-time agents in some ways, but we're also full-time agents. Like, it's just, we do so much because we love the field of real estate and everything that we're doing. Um, so anyways, that was kind of like the results, but the biggest thing was people would start to call me. And then I also honed that skill of particularly open houses. I still love open houses. Like chatting with people that are just coming in, they don't know anything. And I'm, a, I'm an educator at heart. Like that's what I love to do. And so I love walking people through the home buying process. We do like, we do a lot of home buying seminars. Like we're really good at that. Like we've done hundreds of them. And so like, like Jack, if you were like, Hey, you got to give one right now. I'd be like, all right, cool. Like I, I it's in my head. I know let's start. <laughs> so also the, but like what, what I'm, what I'm also impressed with is you've done hundreds of them. Like, People will do that, right? They'll they'll do them. They'll do a sprint, and they'll do ten, 
and then they'll get some results from it, but then they'll just stop doing them. And you just, you guys just don't stop doing them. You just keep doing it. Like the consistency of execution is like, you know, really pays, you know, compounding dividends over time. And uh, I, I, I don't think it should be understated. I feel like that's like, that is unique. People do not have consistency over time. Like they, you know, willing to put in, put in the work over long periods of time is like, that's what, that's what creates the compounding, I think. It, it, and it does two other things. Number one, it saves me time because if I have a buyer that I'm going to sit down with and do a buyer presentation, I said, come to our next seminar. Let me teach you with four other people and I'm going to save five hours of my life. More efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And then new agents, same thing. They're not going to sit down. They don't know all the like little intricacies. So they send theirs there. And then the third thing is other agents that are coming on. It kind of weeds out who is an educator, right? Like you got to have those common values. And that's something that like in all of our businesses, like we want people that care and want to share and, and teach, right? Like that's kind of like a core tenet of like what we end up getting with other people. And so, you know, if you're not an agent that wants to do that, then it's probably not a great place for you. So growing this uh, real estate team over time, which uh, when did you, when did you make that shift to sort of investor or were you still investing at the same time while you were putting all of this together? Yeah, it was the same at the same time. So before I left my full-time job, I bought uh, a three unit in Hagerstown. And that, that one's a, a fun uh, deal because it, it was a three unit. It ended up being like through the process. Again, I'm still so green in this. And the title company keeps calling me and saying, this is two parcels. Like what is going on here? I'm like, nope, it's a three unit. That's what they're telling me. Turns out it was a single family home and a duplex, uh, which really helped me out on the value afterwards because, you know, a three unit, you know, at the time, maybe you were getting 60K a unit or something like that. But mm-hmm. if you have a single family home, it's worth 130 and then a two unit, it's a significant pump twenty, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was like a super fun kind of like weird thing, but um, so I, I had bought that with my leverage boy income, right? I could I could still buy that, and then I left my full time job, and so I it was a refinance, it was a burr, you know. So I was I was, and I was physically working on it at that time, like literally like weekend, load up the truck, let's go up to Hagerstown. You know, my grandma had come; she lived close to there, so she would like come like sweep. You know, like it was kind of fun. <laughs> You know, like just kind of like random stuff. Bring, I was like, bring sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that. It was like the old school, like a lovely that's what chicken we did. soup. Yeah, <laughs> I think we did have soup one, one when, uh, when it started to get cold. So, uh, so it was, it was, it was so much fun. Um, but the, I, I looked around and my best friend Will had moved back to the area and was living in my house hack. And uh, I just said, hey, like, do you want to? I, I need to refinance this thing. Uh, the products that are out there today, the DSCRs and stuff, they, they were non-existent that I knew of. And so it was, let's go to the regular banker, you co-sign for me and you buy in at 10% equity, you know, just something kind of, we just made it up, right? Like it was like, give me 5k, you get 10% equity. Cool. We'll call it a day. And that was the start to my partnership with him, which is now, you know, we own almost a hundred units um, together. And so, uh, so that was like a, you know, a trust thing. And then I had somebody to bring in the car with me when I went up. Uh, and, and worked on the the house. He's not nearly as handy as, as I was, but he you know he held his own there. So so that was like the first. That was like right as I was transitioning, right? So 2016. And I actually I, I taught a class for University of Maryland uh, a couple of years ago, right before COVID. And uh, I did a timeline of my deals because I thought it was really interesting. Because I'll go talk at stuff and things like that. And, and like I said, now we've got almost 100 units, mixed commercial, residential. Um, and people are like, I want to do that. 
And then what we just talked through were like the first three, first two deals. And that was a four year period. You know, it was 2014, bought my first house. 2015, didn't do anything, right? Just like put my nose to, nose to the grindstone, learn stuff. 2016 was, okay, my next Hagerstown house, right? 2017, I think I did one deal, right? And then 2018, it starts to ramp up. But like, there's this time that happens. Like you got to gather resources, you got to gather knowledge. And I think a lot of the times people want to rush into it, you know, particularly young people. And, and just, you know, just give yourself some grace because it takes some time to get there. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So with the, uh, what was the, I guess, as you started to, as you bought your second house and your third house, are you handling, you're handling everything yourself at that, at that point? Um, I guess, what have you, like, how, where are you learning from, right? Like if you're, if you're out there by yourself, you're still associated with the real estate agency. Um, but like, I, I guess, how are you, you know, what, what are the resources that you're using to teach yourself during this period of time? You know, that first five, first five, six years. Yeah, it was, I'm, I was a huge fan of bigger pockets then. Um, I actually think, you know, I love what you guys are doing now because I haven't listened to bigger pockets in four years. Right. But like you guys are like the leveled up bigger pockets. So I, I love it. Um, Sweet I, I love you. it when you guys have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. The formula is working, Jack. It is. It is. Like, I think, I mean, I'm your target demographic, right? Like haven't listened to bigger pockets, but like want this stuff. Right. So, um, it was a lot of bigger pockets at the time. And for me, it was, you know, I was lucky that I had Bo and Mark Rangel, who was the, uh, the leader of the development division that I was working at because it, I would just learn so much through those deals. And so, and, and the thing was, I wouldn't have learned those things if I wasn't there. Like one memory that sticks in my mind, like very specifically is it was like 11 o'clock at night and I don't even know why I was still there. Like it was just me and Bo, like the CEO of the company. And like, this is probably 30 people that work out of that location at that, at that point. And, uh, you know, I was in the kitchen getting some water and you know, struck up a conversation, ended up in his, uh, his office. And he's telling me about something that still sticks to me today. Actually, I think this is relevant for, uh, for your listeners. What he was telling me about, I was asking him about the structure of the business because he had property management, he had real estate sales, he owned real estate brokerage, he owned the buildings we were in, he had a large flipping division and uh, a pretty large portfolio. And then he was really into public-private partnerships. So like with the DC government, you know, let's, let's do some of that stuff. He was in board positions, like all this stuff. Hmm. And I, I think inherently my, my question ended up boiling down to why, like, why are you doing all of those different things? Why not be specific? Cause we hear that all the time too, right? Like get really good at one thing. And, um, something that he shared with me was, was something called the speed of cash flows. And I, th I think this is relevant, particularly because if you're in one line of business, then you probably only have one speed of cash flow. Meaning if you flip a flip properties and you only flip properties, your speed of cash flows is four to nine months. Right. Right. Like from the time you put money in, it's very capital intensive. And so like I would put that in like a medium bucket. Right. So if you can picture like the recycle sign arrows in like a circle, that's like a medium sized circle. And then what many people lack is the short term incomes. And so that's real estate sales for me. Right. Like it's like, OK, we got 10 deals closing this month for clients. Cool. That's like money constantly coming in every couple of days. And so that's it can be property management. It can be wholesaling. It can be you know, all sorts of different things. But I think a lot of people kind of skip that. And then you have these long arcs, which are the ownership of real estate. That's your mm -hmm. refinance or your sale after big capital gains. It's your 
commercial property you own that, okay, cool, I'm going to 1031 it up or, you know, whatever it might be. But so you get these different arcs and then you're just making decisions of what importance do I want to put where? And so for me in the beginning, it's like, I need to be small, right? Like I need to be in that small cash flows because the one way that you lose in real estate is you run out of money. And so I want to make sure that I can always go turn that up, create that. So that was super important. Um, and then I went to the long term and I didn't do much in the middle term, you know, the larger cash chunks from flips and stuff like that. That's actually a pivot we're making now to say, let's flip more because we need, like, we've got all of these units, we've got all this other stuff we're doing, but we're really missing that, that thing that could provide us a lot of income to help catapult us up. So it's the speeds of cash flow, like thinking about how quick am I getting money into the organization and can I design it so that I get multiple different speeds? It's brilliant. Um, one of the things that uh, I think that um, when you're starting off in any entrepreneurial venture, you know, if you talk to a mentor, a lot of them will say, well, we'll become really good at that one thing. And it feels like before you start, you know, jumping into another lane. And one of the things that I, I, I'm hearing from you that I really dig is that there was this thing inside of you where I'm just going to figure it out. You know, I've got a good mentor. Um, I've got a work ethic that, uh, was, you know, that I was born, sort of in my DNA from figuring things out at the farm. Uh, how did you manage all of the learning of each one of those? Because look, you know, realtor, you know, Keller Williams has got in a lot, has, has a lot of the training built in, which is fantastic. It's a great training organization as well as a real estate organization, but then becoming a landlord, um, you know, learning, learning all the, all of the ins and outs of a, of a six month fix and flip. Um, I appreciate the speed of, of, of cash flow. That's a great, uh, great point there, but man, how did you juggle all of that and, and learn it all to be efficient at it? Yeah, I, I think part of it just comes back to a little bit of like, be curious, you know, like if you're asking tons of questions, like to this day, I still try to like, if I'm having a, a meeting with somebody, I'm like, what questions can I ask him? You know, like, if I'm going to ultimate Frisbee with Jack, like, what can I ask him? You know, like, he's way smarter than I am. So like, let me figure out like, what does he know, you know, and and then just being curious, and then like, just just kind of digging in. So part of it is like, literally just a, if you're always on, then and you're always asking questions and you're always learning then time is a little bit less relevant you know like but if i'm only learning between nine to five or on my ride home or whatever it is and then some of it is just putting yourself in the right situations and so like i would put working at the mankiti group as the right situation sure. for me to learn sure and that wasn't a like you look back and like i should have taken a 70 80k job right like that would have like others would argue that that would have given me more firepower to go do deals and I didn't know to the extent that I would learn, uh, but, you know, I, I learned a lot more than I thought I would. But I, I put myself in that right situation, right? Being an agent and you're working with investors in the beginning, ask them questions. Learn how they think. You know, this is something I try to tell my, my agents now is like, if you're working with an investor, like figure out exactly what they're doing. Like, and then, and then think critically about like, put your black hat on, like, look at the opposite of like, what might be the downside to that? Like what might not be there? And then go see what are the results. Hopefully you're like listing their flips or whatever, but like, what'd you rent that for? Like, let me just be really, really curious. And then, you know, networking events and going to stuff like there's tons of meetups around here. You know, I kind of struggle with it now. I've got uh, two young kids. And so it's like, man, I want to go to all that stuff all the time. And, uh, and continue to meet people. Now it's about networking and, and knowing people, you know, and then being able to ask that like very specific question that comes up in your life. Sure. But, uh, but in the beginning, yeah, just go to stuff, right? Like try to learn, be curious, ask questions, speak up, 
Like, I think it's as simple as that, honestly. Jack, as I look at, uh, you know, I've known you for a very long time. And as I look at the sort of the trajectory and of uh, the Dominion Group and all the businesses within, I'd love for you to speak to the same. Like, how is it that, you know, you just, you just, you learned so much over seemingly a short period of time, Jack, but I know it's not felt like the shortest period of time, but yeah, speak to that. Yeah, I, I uh, what Austin's saying really resonates with me. I uh, so I, I got out of college, studied real estate and finance in college. Like wanted to go do real estate, and then did commercial real estate because that's what you should go do. And you know, I went to a good school and got to got a great job in New York, working you know eighty hours a week in basically a real estate finance job. And uh, that was like you know the best like that was I was on like the best track there was for being in real estate right like coming out of school like that was the most I was I was on the the, the top of the classical track right yeah but uh, but it wasn't entrepreneurial it wasn't like I wasn't going to be doing deals until if you know if, for you know I was on a track to do you know in, and in ten deals you can run sorry in ten years you can run your own deals and uh, you know I was just young and arrogant and impatient and so I. I quit a job in New York that I was making 150. I made 150 grand, you know, my first year out of school, and I quit it. And I quit it to go to Baltimore. And Fred gave me 55 grand. So I, I took a hundred thousand. I took a two thirds pay cut uh, to go work for Fred. And I just soaked up. You know, I spent that 80 hours just hanging out with him and just soaking up everything I could for just, you know, for years. So you know, I tried to download his entire like, you know, body of knowledge as fast as I could. And I was like, and I'm getting paid to like, to, for, you know, for this, like this, you know, this education that they don't teach anywhere. Yeah. So I, I thought it was like a bargain, right? Like, I'm like, I, if, if I can figure out what this guy's done, I could do this anywhere. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll know a skill set after five years, I'll have a skill set where I can go anywhere in America and make money. Right. Like in that, that like, that I was like, I want to know that body of knowledge. That that's what really got me excited. But um, but yeah, it was just like, <clears throat> but 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 I guess putting your so it's difficult to like. I really like the idea that, uh, and I didn't I didn't know that about your early career that you had worked for another developer where you were surrounded by deals that were happening and folks who were actively doing deals. And I, and I think like the importance of surrounding yourself with people who are you know practitioners who are actively doing it. And being able to use them as your professors, right? In in a sense, is um, yeah, it's, it's very very similar in in its nature to my early career as well. Yeah, and there's this idea like if we were to if we were to actually put a model to like what that is, it's actually thinking about who are you determining wealth for. It's something that, that we talk about a little bit in Keller Williams and some of the higher level classes is like in your early career, determine wealth for the right people. And they will share back with you. And so, like, if you think about a typical person, like, take a consultant at Deloitte, right? That was what Will did before he, he took the entrepreneurial leap. He doesn't know who he's determining. Like, who is his work going to make money for? It's that, like, senior level manager that, like, probably doesn't really like their life anyways. And, you know, like, that's, like, the consulting thing. I was determining wealth for Bo. And so he would pour into me. Today in our organization and Jack, it's the same thing, right? Like the people that are determining wealth for you, like helping you live your lifestyle that you live, you want to pour into those people. Yes. Yeah, so true. if if you have Brilliant. the right wealth determiners, so people under you, and if you are determining wealth for the right people, then that's going to be a great relationship that you're going to have. And but not many people think about that. Like who am I paying? And think about like too, like your lenders, like all of that stuff too. Like how does that work together? So, anyways, that's like. 
that's how I think about that in a model way. It's really interesting. Brilliant. So we're uh, coming up on the end of the episode here. Austin, it's uh, been a fascinating conversation. I think we want to go in a few more directions. Will you hang out with us for the next episode? Yeah, yeah. And here, I'll, I'll tease you like four different things so people are excited to come to the, All right, to look the at this. next episode. This guy's so good. We got, natural, dude. Natural. <laughs> so we've got, um, you know, funny. So Bo is, is now an investor in some of our deals, right? So we, we've done some syndications and I think we have a different model than what most people do. So I'll, I'll share that with you all um, and how I came about thinking about that. And then uh, we're also starting a co-working business here very shortly. Um, excited we'll have you guys to the, the grand opening. And uh, and there's some reasons behind that as well. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll take you to like the I think I started to tell the story of the 11 unit portfolio and uh, and show you how we got to you know a bunch of commercial stuff and things like that today. Yeah, and I think we're also going to touch on. I, I want to. Uh, you mentioned something when we before we start got recording here today about um, cre- you know the concept of creating general generational wealth and your model behind what what that what that really means like right like you know getting beyond getting beyond the cliche of the term you know cliched terms and what that means you know in the way that you're building your uh portfolio and uh you know and the goals that you're setting for it and, and the mechanics behind that we'd love we're going to dig into that too cool a consummate real estate prof- professional and he knows how to tease the next episode that was awesome <laughs> All right, so we're going to wrap this one up. Thank you, Austin, for the great conversation. We're going to join you in the next episode again. This is Real Investor Radio. We'll see you on the next episode.